0: The only
1: way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbreak off.
0: Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is the Handbreak Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It is a strong lineup today, as ever. A front three consisting of our captain, leader, and legend, it's Amy Lawrence. Hello, Amy. Hiya. Hello, uh, back into the first team after a small injury layoff, a right back who definitely knew how to take a throw in. Uh, he's here to inject optimism <laughs> and experience into the conversation. It's Lee Dixon. Hello, Lee.
1: <laughs> Morning, everybody.
0: Morning. <laughs> How's the
1: knee? Is you obviously it all right? forgot how I... You've obviously forgotten how i used to play i took the odd uh, foul throw but i think i was six or seven at the time
0: yeah quite uh, we'll get into that and proving that handbrake off podcast has more flexibility than michael Arteta's arsenal there's a like for like change to the lineup today zonal markings michael cox replaces james mcnicholas hello michael hi Ian. hello you've come on a good week i've got to be honest with you
2: <laughs> yeah
0: amy Amy told us. Amy told us not too much moaning. I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Really? Well, that, let's be Amy. honest
3: here. That's uh, what my first suggestion was that we had the introduction <laughs> and then just had forty minutes of tumbleweed and then song choices, end. We'll do that if we lose to Burnley at the weekend. Um, yeah. Now before
0: we get into the um, into the meat of uh, of what happened at the weekend, um, Amy, you saw a tweet. Uh, somebody tweeted you at the weekend about um, missing stuff. Well, no. What what did he actually say?
3: Yes, I thought the opening question this week was inspired by a, a guy called at Hardbread 2 on Twitter, who tweeted me and various others saying Arsenal missing that player on the field to take charge. Is that what makes Van Dijk so special? Vieira, Adams. I take Flamini pointing right about now. Um <laughs> And <laughs> I, I think yes. I think we, it's we, come we to would. something when you know. Flamini pointing would feels like a step in the right direction. So maybe the question is, you know, what, what, what do you most pine for? Um, what, what, what do you want to see in this Arsenal team that is sadly invisible right now?
0: Well, what do you want to see in this Arsenal team that is sadly invisible right now,
3: Amy? Do you know what I got really nostalgic about the other day? Um, I was listening to uh, uh, another podcast that some members of this podcast occasionally uh, appear on, which is the Tuesday Club, hosted by Alan Davis, and He plays clips of um, commentary of goals for people to guess the goal. And there was a couple of goals, and the names kind of coming out, it was like, kozola Rosicki, <laughs> Wilshire, and it's all... When Arsenal had that kind of glut of twinkle-toed, playmaker-y midfield technicians and some people at the time, some critics almost uh, mocked this idea that Arsene Wenger collected all these players without really thinking about, you know, uh, how to get the correct balance and system. It was just like, oh, there's another fantastic gifted number 10 type, let's get them in Um, and chuck them all in and see what happens. But I really, watching Arsenal's, what passes for a midfield at the moment, uh, particularly on the game on the weekend, I just thought, oh, just dying to see some quality, some cleverness, some cuteness, some ability to, to hang on to the ball and, and be clever and, and interesting in possession. And uh, uh, that, that's kind of, I'd love, just love to see that at the moment in Arsenal and I just don't think they have the players. No,
0: um, I think that's probably true. Um, Lee, what are you pining for at the moment? <laughs> um, this is.
1: Uh, I don't know whether this is a bit of an unfair one, um, but what I'm missing, because because I experienced it, and I don't experience the dressing room now because I'm not in it, so it's maybe a little bit unfair. But I'm only saying what I see, and what I used to, what used to really make me comfortable before any game was lining up in the tunnel before the game getting ready to come out which is my best moment of being a footballer was just you know five to three in the good old days just before you're about to come out where there's a an understanding by looking up and down the line uh, a reassurance that I know what I'm going to get and that's I don't we don't know how we're going to play we don't know what the result's going to be I could go out there and have an absolute stinker. Tony standing behind me could have, a, or in front of me, could have a nightmare. The goalie could throw one in. You know, things happen on a football pitch that are out of your control to a certain extent. But there was, a, there, was a, there was a knowing that I knew that all 11 that were going out there, you were going to get a certain level of performance, whether it was good, bad, or whatever. There was always a, a reassurance that if something went wrong, someone could have you back. And I think that's what I miss watching the team at the moment is you just no clue what you're going to get, regardless of how they play. And I think there's something missing when you look at a team and you go, well, at least we know we're going to do this. I don't think with this team at the moment, you you know anything from the, you know, you're kind of waiting and expecting something and hoping, but you don't, there's no, there's nothing there for sure. And that's, that's
0: what I miss most i'll tell you what michael I, i'm i was fairly certain what was going to happen at the weekend i don't know about you what What are you uh pining for at the moment
2: and maybe a bit of a technical point but i miss goals from midfield you know I, I think i think back to you know great arsenal teams and great arsenal moments and fa cup final victories and the number of goals that were scored by players like overmars or ray parlor and freddie jungberg in, in cardiff or robbie Pires the next year or Aaron Rams in recent years but I went back and I looked at the stats for last season and looked at the number of the goals the midfielders had scored and it was uh, Ozil won, Torreira won, Nelson won, Willock won, Xhaka won and Saka won um, and none of them with the exception of Saka have found the net so far so I mean we're talking so much about you know getting the ball to a Bamiyang in dangerous positions which of course is a major problem but you know other players can chip in as well can't they?
0: Well, n- apparently not at the moment. But yes, um, I, I I like him. Um, I, I I'd just be happy for forward passes once in a while. To be honest with you. Also, by the way, I do love Lee talking about five to three being his favourite moment. Like we're ever going to kick off at five to three every <laughs> three o'clock ever again. But it's nice to think about it once in a while. Uh, now. Uh, You can get a special offer from The Athletic at the moment. It's buy one gift one. Right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It is the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Uh, Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenal pod We're not going to try and sugarcoat it. Our club is in a bad place. Currently 15th in the Premier League. The worst start to a league season since 1974. We've scored less goals as a team than Hume Min Song has got for Spurs. And we're only six points ahead of Fulham, who it's generally agreed will go down this season. It ain't great. As Amy said, oh, she suggested 40 minutes of tumbleweeds before uh, before we get going. And if you listen to the last three podcasts, there's not going to be a huge amount, which is different. But we haven't had Lee's input. Uh, for a few weeks, um, Lee. I want to talk about the midfield first of all. Is it fair to just blame Granite Xhaka? And by that, I mean, if you're playing as a team where one of the central pivots just slows everything down, in fact, moves things backwards, doesn't just just gum up the whole thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, oh God, where do we start? I think that you know, it's 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 quite easy to. You know, is it pretty much a focal point of that midfield? So it's quite easy to point out all his mistakes and what he doesn't do. And um he has qualities; there's no doubt about that. You don't play for international level as many times as he has, and and be a play, an Arsenal player uh, or get yourself in that position. So uh, you know, I'm not his biggest fan anyway. So I'm trying to I'm trying to do him a little bit of a, a favor here, and not just pile it all on him, but. um so there's there's so much going on at the moment, and it's it's too it's too simplistic to say it's him, and if he doesn't do this, then we don't play well. There's you know you've got the you go through the forwards, you know, you try and work out what's going on with Aubameyang, try and work out what's going on with, um you know his positioning, his running, his effort, he's all of what's going on in his head. I think what really got to me the other night watching the game was. A real, we know we're playing Tottenham, but there's a real lack of understanding about the team. The team that you're playing against. And we all know how Tottenham play. We all know what to expect from them. Um, we've seen them over the last two or three weeks. It pains me to say, sort of, a, you know, a masterclass in this is a team we're playing against this is how we're going to play in order this is our best Mourinho opportunity to get a result is to play like this to play like that and then to win the game or draw and seven points out of the last three games from their point of view is is absolutely ticks all the boxes but so when we're playing against a team that we know how they're going to play regardless of the fact that they're at home that and i want to take the two goals for examples because there was lots of good stuff, lots of crosses in the box in the second half and everyone's, you know, I, I, I think it was Ray Parler put on Twitter the other day, you know, played well, and, you know, a bit unlucky, And I was like, play, what does that mean, Ray? What does playing well mean? You know, creating chances and so you don't, you, don't, you lose 2-0, is, is that playing well? There's on, another side to, to playing well and that is keeping the bloody ball out of the net. And, and, and if you're playing against a team you know, and we didn't do that twice. And the goals were were an absolute disgrace. You know, to, to to have a lack of understanding. I mean, if you look at the first goal, for instance, we had when we lost the ball, we had two centre backs on the halfway line marking Kane, we had two holding players behind the ball, and our two full backs recovering behind the ball. That's six players against Tottenham counter attacking side. So you go well. How do you conceive from that then? That's not being counterattacked. That's have a that's a lack of understanding of when you've got men in in certain the right positions, that you don't know what to do next. And that to me was a massive alarm bells going off, saying how how does that happen? How do you? And then th- as the goal goes on, it gets worse and worse and bellering and holding when you get into a position with Son like that. We had seven v three, and they still score from 25 yards out, and I'll, I'll talk about the goalkeeper on another podcast, because to get beat by that shot, where it went into the net, something's going on there as well. But regardless of that, what's going on, the understanding of, of holding and bellowing when when they're in a position where they're getting attacked 2v2 and they cannot or do not know the basics of how you stop somebody doing what they did is beyond... Is, i can't even fathom it okay it really makes me angry thinking about it i watched it again this morning and it makes me so angry as you can tell it's not just the fact that me my knees hurting and then the set the second goal we lose the ball and we've got 4v4 on, a, on an attack so you think well that's okay we're trying to get back in the game one pass later we've got a 5v2 and i know party goes off why do why is walking off when the and and also Arteta in the position he walks off next to the manager the manager's seeing the play and he can you know fall off push him on the pitch trip him up throw him in 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 front of somebody who's trying to make a run do something what what went on there one pass later they end up five v two is is a joke so holding's got three players on the halfway line at some point you think he'd go um i've got three men here any any chance because the ball was in their box at the time you know, it's, it's things like that that really infuriate me. So I don't matter how many crosses you get in, how many t- created chances you get to a to a striker who, who's so out of form it's embarrassing, and forwards who who, who, who have been you know better, um, and a, a lot better over a period of time. And now we're all of a sudden we can't create anything. Then we start to create chances, and then the the back line decides to. Oh, do you know what? We don't know how to play this game anymore. We're playing Tottenham and they hit you on a break. At no point during those two goals should they have been caught on the break. And that's just a lack of concentration and know-how. That's how big a job he's got. It's huge. Uh, uh,
0: well, um, Amy, Mike, I think Lee pretty much covered everything that happened at the weekend there. <laughs> I um, But Amy, I could ask you a specific question. Why can't Ainsley Maitland-Niles get a game at the moment? I mean, he plays in the Europa League. He plays really well. On the Thursday, he's interviewed after the game, talking about central midfield, and asked him what he's had to it. And he said legs, which was just so beautifully succinct. What's going on that, uh, that
3: Mikel Arteta won't put him in the team? I wish I knew. Um, I suspect, but, you know, the manager makes his decisions based on a whole bunch of stuff that he felt um, putting experience in uh, for the game at whiteheart lane might be worth something i don't know perhaps lee's got a better uh picture on whether that might be the case or not but i guess you can understand this why he might what does experience i mean, don't know then? i mean what i i suppose mean? it's a, it's a tempting thing to say isn't it the idea that someone's got a more proven uh character and a more proven sort of uh set of ideas about what to expect from a big game, how to react, how to take things if they're not going well. It, I don't know. But for me, um, Xhaka, and again, it's not wanting to put it on one person because I don't think Ceballos has been terrific this season either. Parties obviously settling in. You know, that It's like we're back again. The, the, the scratch record, we've gone back to the problem again and again and again of lack of balance in midfield, which feels to me like it's been an issue for something like a decade, uh, certainly a a long period. And obviously there was a lot of excitement in, in Thomas Partey coming in, but it wasn't a secret that Arsenal was supposedly looking at two central midfield players to bring in this summer. And again, it's very easy to understand why that might be, because it's a part of the pitch that is in desperate need of an upgrade. And... It's so obvious that it affects what's going on behind and in front. Uh, It knits the whole team together. It's the heartland of the team. And if that's wrong against a good team away from home, you're really at a disadvantage. So um, why is it Maitland-Niles not playing? I don't know, but it it does seem strange that Arsenal was so desperate for money to reinvest in the summer. And he was a player who had a, a not completely insubstantial bid from uh, another team and it was rejected and everybody was delighted. It never never got it anywhere because there was a sense that he is a, a player of great promise and of qualities that might not be that much in, in Arsenal's uh, armoury. But he's really struggling to get a look in and I don't know why. And I just wonder whether Arteta is it's, a bit, it's probably when your back is against the wall as he is now, things are not working for him. Whatever he's trying is not working. Whatever he's telling the players uh, in the week is not um, transferring to matches. So it's a difficult one to know whether you gamble. How much do you gamble? I mean, he took a gamble with party. That's a different story. Gambling with a young player is a a very different thing. I I see
0: that. But Ainsley Maitland-Niles is not completely inexperienced. Personally, I'd have him twice. I'd have him replacing Bellerin as well. Michael, um, I I watched Jermaine Genius on Match of the Day 2 on Sunday, and he said there was no connection between the midfield and the attack. So the question is, are the forwards not making runs because they don't think the midfielders will find them? Or are the midfielders not making the passes because the forwards aren't making the runs?
2: (coughs) Yeah. um... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, i mean i agree with what Jean said i think what um what i thought was quite evident in, in sunday's game was a lack of players who could actually receive the ball on the turn in in dangerous positions i think there was one example of saka doing that kind of in the left channel and he created can't remember what chance that was a half chance but he created something but there was a lack of that and i, I do slightly fe- uh, feel for um for Young. you know people saying he's not having enough touches and that kind of thing but He's not a great player when he does come deep and link player Bamiyang. Young. His game is is playing on the shoulder of the last defender. He's just obviously not getting those passes. But I mean, just to go back slightly to what Lee said about um, you know people saying Arsenal played well and, and Lee being confused about that. I mean, I completely agree, and I got the sense really in the second half that Spurs weren't even really trying to counterattack. You know, I think had they been had they been getting out of third gear with Son on the break or whoever, maybe it could have been a bit more embarrassing for Arsenal to be honest but I just thought they were almost conserving energy and just playing as as minimally as they needed to to see the result through so I wouldn't read too much into you know a bit of pressure in the second half
0: well Lee is this a is this a concern because when you saw Mikel Arteta's post-match comments talking about the number of crosses and the sort of I don't know, he was sort of talking about chances. As far as I can remember, it was Aubameyang's header that went over, that he probably should have done better, and Lacazette's header that that Lloris fell on. Um, There there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between what Mikel Arteta is seeing and what we're seeing, and I think that is a worrying time, is it not? Well, I mean, managers
1: managers do see, they see a lot more than we do. um, You know, as spectators, as pundits, you know, we're not all of us, but you have agendas. You're looking at stuff. People put things in your in your head, in your ideas. He's looking at it from the whole, you know, every aspect of the team. Um, it is worrying when he doesn't spot certain things that we all spot. That you go, well, why isn't you know why isn't Maitland Niles playing instead of Jacker? Because I was listening to Amy said, you know, the the reasons why he might not play with Jacker because of the experience and the stuff like that. And I look at. Xhaka for me doesn't do anything that, that, that Maitland-Niles can't do, and and I, and so that's that's I can't fathom that one out. Sorry, here's a question: Well, does Lacazette do anything that Özil can't do? No, but I think the, the you know the the Özil situation's long gone, and it's not necessarily totally football matters that's the reason for that. You know, my my understanding of the situation is if it was purely based on football, then he, he you know, he, he he wouldn't he wouldn't be out in the cold. There might be a different situation, I'm not saying he'd be in the team, but I'm not saying he should be in the team. I'm just saying that, you know, I think my understanding of it is it's not a purely football based decision. So um, there's certainly a, an absolute crying out for somebody with a bit of creativity. There's no doubt about that. But I think the problem is. You know the, the disconnect between the lines is that, that you've pointed out um, is marked. You know the, the 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 difference between the different sections of the team is it's almost like they they all train the back four all train on their own, and we used to go off and do our own stuff. But ultimately, there was an understanding of what each department's doing. At the moment, that you know the midfield and the forwards and the and the defence don't there don't seem to be any crossover in information. And that that was purely highlighted in the in the goals, as as I've said. Um, but going forward, same thing. And don't I, I, you know, I'm, don't get too fooled with how many crosses you get into. A, you know, if a team's defending crosses reasonably well, then some teams prefer the ball to go down the sides because we can defend it from this position. And also, what it does is push your wide players out and wide and out of the game and when you do clear the ball the middle of the pitch is less congested you can hit teams on the break so it suited Tottenham to be you know and there's loads of stats about how many crosses lead to goals and they're astonishing. When you actually look how many times a ball goes in the net from a cross, depending on how many crosses go in, it's, you know, it's like one in 45 or something ridiculous.
0: Yes, sadly, one in 45. And we only did 44. And as James (laughs) very, very interestingly pointed out, one more cross and we'd have got one back, uh, sadly. Um, uh, Amy, all these crosses, uh, um, I mean, Tottenham funneled us out that way. And 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 that seemed to be the way we were going we're, we're crossing the ball by the way to two strikers who don't have a big history of uh of headed goals
3: i mean what's the thinking there i don't know i just uh think overall when you look at um the way i sort of setting up of what they're trying to do i mean i think it was uh jamie Carragher's in that analysis on sky it was <clears throat> extremely uh telling where he pointed to the statistics of the the games that went very well against top opponents end of last season with the, the Cup successes, uh, a win against Liverpool, which everyone remembers was incredibly jammy, but, you know, very minimal possession, um, uh, not huge amount of shots, but um, not conceding too many chances and being quite clinical with the chances that you get or a bit more so. Um, and then it, it was like everything was flipped. So uh, it seems a bit troubling that, whatever it is that the plan is at the moment it, it you know it's just not it's obviously not getting results against all sorts of opponents home away you know bigger teams uh, slightly less fashionable teams um this is a really massive hole that Arsenal are in right now and I do have some sympathy with Artetic because I think you know he is a young manager and people are turning fast whether that's fair or not, you know, this is the life we're in. Um, But it's one of those where you think Arteta's beginning to get more finger-pointing, but there is a lot of finger-pointing that needs to go to players as well. And Arteta's only got what he's got to work with. And you do look at this team, and when you looked at the lineup, yes, you could argue about Granit Xhaka, maybe, but probably the majority of people would have chosen most of those other players to play that game. Maybe Willian, you'd argue, is... (laughs) He's not doing enough to justify a starting position and playing most of the game at the moment, but there's not a huge amount of... He's not got that many options. What can he do? I just look at the squad and I think, what is he supposed to do with this lot at the moment? They've all lost masses massive amount of confidence. They've all lost that little percentage of where you're feeling good and you're doing things a bit quicker and a bit more instinctively. There's an anxiousness there. It's evident. Across the team, I think there's a fatigue there as well. And I think that some people are maybe not factoring in I particularly feel this about Aubameyang and I'm sure everyone's got lots of other re- reasons they might want to throw in about his predicament in the moment. But to me, he just looks like a guy who's absolutely knackered because how much work did he do last year in a, a, in that weird time? Um, There's a ridiculously turbulent season. He just kept scoring. He was carrying the team. He was running up and down the left. He was backtracking back. He was up supporting and getting in the box. He really pushed himself and yeah yeah, but nobody else is is chipping in (laughs) as has been pointed out yes and maybe there's a point at which you know you haven't had much of a break you haven't had much of a pre-season you've gone straight more or less from this uh post-covid project restart to another um another season and he's not getting a lot of help i think you know it's very easy maybe to to just lose to be a bit flat to be knackered maybe you need to rest
0: lee i noticed there wasn't a lot of sympathy uh, in your that's his job uh, comment just then, but would, would you must have played with strikers going through these sort of patches? What is there anything you can do to help them, or do they just have to sort it out for themselves? No, I think you, you've kind of got to let them
1: get on with it. I mean, Righty went through loads of little patches like this. Six games he, you know... was
0: the longest for him, though, Lee.
1: Yeah, but yeah, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the the length is for each individual striker. Six games to write is like twenty games to anybody else. So, <laughs> yeah, it you know he he. But you you know he gets frustrated. He gets angry. But yes, I'm you know I'm being a little bit harsh saying yeah that's his job run about. But it is everybody's job. There's lots of tired players out there. Uh, other teams that are scoring goals. But he's not getting he's he's not getting the service that he. He, he likes, he, he's in a position where, you know, if you asked him, do you want one slid down the inside of the, the full back in the centre half, uh, or do you want a ball whipped into the, you know, 12 yards out on your head, and then you pick the one down the side because that's the type of player he is. Um, you want a breakaway goal when we've seen him as Amy pointed out earlier uh, or towards the end of last season or um, was he saying about the type of goals that he got then um, and the type of wins that Arsenal were getting it's completely changed around now because it's a new season you're kind of like right okay he's changed the system so that may has an effect on on things well uh, and the only place you, you put this right is the ideal world you give players rest and people come in and Challenging for your position, but as Amy said again, there's not that many different options that you can go for and so, you know know, bite the bullet and just basically get on with it on the training pitch. That's the only place you fix it. It's the only place you fix Tactical uh, errors and the understanding of what happens when we lose the ball like against Tottenham with the two goals They should never have happened. So you you fix that on the training pitch by going right, okay? We're not going to do any 8v8s eight this week. We're going to work totally on what we do when we lose the ball. And there's been big improvements in certain departments of the pitch, and then it wanders off into the other area of the pitch where we're, we've we been better at attacking, and then it goes back to the defence again. But ultimately, it all boils down to, like Amy pointed out again, it all boils down to that midfield area when you, the engine of the team, as well as the back four, or as well as your strikers are playing, where it where the ball spends most of the time is in the middle of the park, and if you've got a a, a new player who's not fit against Tottenham and a, and a player who's who doesn't necessarily understand the game at all from my point of view in Jacker, then that is a big chunk of the team. It's a big chunk of how you're going to play during it during a game. Um, but, which is why the, you know, why the easily got rolled
0: over two 0 Yeah, and which is why I started this whole podcast asking about uh, Granit Xhaka because uh, he seems to be one of the major problems. Um, Michael, I want to come back to you about this. What Mikel Arteta can do to fix things? Should he go back to three at the back, or three centre backs like he uh, had? Because that seemed to work. As Amy pointed out, we were what we watched Jamie Carragher's analysis. Uh, talking about how little possession we had in those games against Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea and Manchester United uh, earlier this year. Um, Why has he moved away from that? Should he go back to that?
2: I think on the evidence so far, the three at the back is working better for this combination of players, yeah. And I think the positive thing Arsenal have got from that system is they played it, particularly the two games at Wembley, they, they played it in quite an unusual way where Tierney was the left-sided centre-back but he could come out to left-back and whoever was playing on the left left wing-back, whether it was Saka or Maitland-Niles, would come inside and become the third-central midfielder, which is a kind of system you don't really see. But not only did it work well with a group of players, it meant that Arsenal weren't kind of constrained in a back three. They had the flexibility to play out. I think he's changed things, perhaps because he's got a slightly different combination of players. I think it's obvious that he's going to put a lot of emphasis upon Thomas Partey. And I think the fact that he played on Sunday, when I think we can safely say he he wasn't completely fit, shows how much Arteta wants to get him into the side. But yeah, at the moment, I think think the three at the back has looked the better system for Arsenal, even if it does have, I think, some limitations.
0: Uh, Lee, before I let you go, I want to ask you about Hector Bellerin and the throw-ins. I mean, as you said... The last time he started doing this was when you were six or, or you stopped doing foul throws when you were six or seven. He has got the highest number of foul throws in any league in Europe. Now, I've seen it suggested that this is indicative of the general slackness in the club. Would you agree with that or do you just think it's down to Hector and just practice a little bit more?
1: I think it'd be very harsh to blame Xhaka for Bellerin's throw-ins. <laughs> to be honest with you, but I'll try and work it round that it is Xhaka's fault. Um, no, I mean, come on, just take responsibility. It's not. It really isn't that hard. It, it might be a medical issue. He might have short yeah. triceps or something. I don't know what's going on, but to, you know, to put the ball behind the back of your neck and then to straighten your arms isn't the most difficult thing in the world it might be to do with it might from his point of view having said that he's been he's been doing it for years it's not as this isn't a new thing it's not when he's in bad form which is in you know he's got to re, he's literally got to press the reset button in all departments of his game everything that he's doing is out of sync and he's got to go back to just sitting in that right back position and letting the game be played in front of him and it's all right saying you know we're playing in this certain way and get forward and you know he got forward for the for the goal and got you say we's well, out of position. No, it was four v four. It's fine if you've got people behind you to go forward. But when you're having a bad time and things are not going well for you and the team, just, especially for for saying. yourself, you just yeah just stay in your in your position and let the game play in front of you. Don't get caught with people behind you. That's the basic of being a fullback. You know, I, I want everything in front of me. As soon as you start looking over your shoulder, you're out of position. You're too late. You're this and the other. And he's got away with it. Um, and, and now all of a sudden it's coming home to roost again. And he's been in out. Of, he's been out of form before. I don't think. I don't think he's not come. He's not come on like we all thought he would. And he and, and that has to come down to. The coach, either the coaching that he's getting or not getting or the fact he can't take information on. I don't think that's the case. He's an intelligent boy. doesn't mean to say you're football intelligent just because you can string a sentence together, by the way. Um, you know, and the fact that he's he's got a lot of stuff going on in his life that everyone goes, oh, isn't he doing, you know, he's good at this, good at trees. that, he's good
0: at being a number two. Excellent for the environment. <laughs> i mean that's what it is isn't it and and we all like him for all that and lgbt rights he's very hot on that stuff as well but i wish he could take a throw in I can really, i, can really I ask a question
3: um, lovely yes. just stop following up on that um if you've been doing something all your life uh more or less the same and it becomes kind of um uh, like a habit or conditioned how difficult is it to have you ever had that where you've had to change some, change the way you do something for whatever reason? And you mean, you mean the yeah? Um, exactly. I mean exactly. I imagine that he's always taken throwing the same way all the way through youth football and right the way through into professional football, yeah. and that it's not really been pulled well, I up. I could before. stop him overnight.
1: <laughs> I could stop him overnight. If I was his coach, stop, literally stop. He would never. But make if you're in one. the game,
3: if and... you're kind of suddenly back in game mode. Wouldn't you just slip back into something that the way you've always done it?
1: Yeah, but if you if you did it again and he came in and you went right, that's two weeks' wages. <laughs> that's two hundred thousand pounds you owe me. Yeah. I guarantee you the next game, whether he's in game mode or he's at Anfield '89 with a minute to go, he'd pick the ball up and he'd throw it in properly, because you, you you can you get conditioned by your environment. And if your environment means if you do something and I'm not saying that you go around whacking people on the back of the leg with a stick every time you do something wrong. But there's a certain amount of um, things that are acceptable and certain things that you just go, Hector, you cannot do this anymore. So I'm going to give you a punishment or I'm going to I'm going to make it I'm going to make it um, a disadvantage for you to do that. Because there's no you have to be accountable for your actions and taking a throw in is just come on. Just take the throw in. Yeah, yeah. Stop messing about. It's five two weeks' wages it, if you do it again.
0: It's five needless times that he's he's given possession away. I think you should do the same. Fine, Granite Jacker. Every time he passes backwards, as well. By the way, uh, <laughs> I, I quite like the idea of Lee Dixon administering fines to some sort of headmaster when they come into the dressing I found room. Found my job. At- I found my
1: job at Arsenal. I'm going back. Fine manager.
0: Um, Lee, it's been lovely to talk to you as always. Uh, We wish you uh, the best for your continued rehabilitation. And uh, we'll speak to you uh, very soon. (laughs) This is the uh, Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic. Thanks to Lee Dixon for his uh, insight and uh, lack of sympathy for Aubameyang's plight. (laughs) Um, still here, Amy Lawrence and Michael Cox. Um, Amy, you um, you were lucky enough to go to the first game uh, where fans were allowed back in against uh, Rapid Vienna on uh, Thursday night. And it looked like a joyous experience. It really did. And you sat with the fans, did you not? You did a podcast uh, talking about this. Um, it was, uh, it, it. well, it
3: looked like tremendous fun. I have to say i was elated um it was i was thinking about it just after the tottenham game how you know this classic football can take your extremes of emotion and twang them from one side to the other in such a a crazy way um but uh, we got back from the uh from the game against rapid vienna i could barely sleep that night i was so adrenalized and so happy and so uh uplifted just by being in a crowd and reconnecting with that crowd experience. Um, it felt absolutely brilliant. And it was it was just so good to be with other people, communally experiencing something and laughing. That was the thing I think I missed the most is just somebody says something slightly absurd or starts a stupid song and or there's a, a wise crack from somewhere and everybody just sort of was falling around laughing. It was It was something that just really brought home how much those kind of emotions and experiences that we were all um, entitled to think were accessible in our lives on a relatively regular basis, how hard it's been that they vanished and how beautiful it is to feel those feelings again. And everything about uh, the experience was top, you know, coming to the game, seeing people outside, that kind of sense of you, you walking down the road and see so, someone else was wearing, you know, some Arsenal paraphernalia and everyone's like, all right, all right, nodding to each other and going in and, and the stewards and the people taking the temperature checks and everybody there was, everybody was in, was in a good mood. Everybody was happy to see one another. There was no nonsense and people were very patiently adapted to this slightly new world of, of how, how you have to go to football these days. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised, but I did wonder about whether you're sitting uh, in a, 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 your sort of socially distanced way, sort of uh, one, one seat in three was being used um, and a row behind and in front of you would be free. So you weren't sort of rubbing shoulders with anybody. Uh, there was not, none of that kind of body warmth or sort of physical sensation of jostling next to anybody or, or trying to peer past someone's head or, you know, you're, mo- you're moving to get a view of the pitch according to who's in front of you <coughs> excuse me. but but I thought that it would be quite weird and maybe somebody might sing something and nobody else would join in and it would be strange but there was still you still got the chorus it still felt loud in your area and like you were part of a group of people uh, exhorting something or, or enjoying something together uh, it was magic I, I really—I yeah. was amazed I, mean, I thought 2,000 people well that's going to be weird and yeah it was a bit weird but it was brilliant Teams are just coming out the Europa League music is playing what could be better? Don't answer that shivers down the old back of the spine to be in a crowd and be feeling something communal and people singing together people are taking loads of footage on their phones you can see how much it means to people to be back
0: this is great i mean it'd be interesting michael to see how happy everyone is when we're struggling away against burnley on sunday
2: yeah definitely i mean uh, i think a, a few people have made the point you know you, you always think of having supporters as supporting you but it can have the opposite impact and I mean looking at a couple of other clubs I think West Ham have done really well in recent months because they've been playing in such a kind of uncomfortable unfamiliar atmosphere with fans who you know haven't taken to the ground Um, and it might actually be a bit of a barrier to them to play in front of 60,000 again when they get back in so yeah I mean I I was I was quite jealous actually reading Amy's uh, or or listening to Amy's uh, podcast on it just because it's I mean I went to three games kind of as a journalist not Arsenal games but but other games you know in in behind closed doors settings and you know on one hand felt lucky to be there and that but to be honest it was so unenjoyable i mean i was i was struck by how miserable it was actually so i haven't i haven't gone to any games this season because of that um and yeah the fact that fans are getting back in is obviously a really good thing
0: yeah i have to say i cannot i genuinely even with the team playing as they are i cannot wait i cannot wait because i actually think my goodness, I could help.
2: <laughs> <In> the, <laughs> no, no, I know well, you, it sounds ridiculous. You could take the throw-ins here, maybe. But...
0: <laughs> I couldn't be any worse. Could, I'd, have you, right shout, I'd have to get the right shoes. You could shout, there's princess. a
3: fine coming! anytime. There's <laughs> a fine
0: coming. Lee Dixon is watching you, Hector. And he'd sort of shudder slightly and concentrate a bit harder. Um, we also, uh, we touched, by the way, on James's piece, uh, Noughts and Crosses, uh, about... The um, the way that Arsenal are playing at the moment, um, forty four crosses, which which is one more than uh, the the record holders up to that point, Fulham and Sheffield United. And how well are they doing? Um, it is uh, Amy. It's a ridiculous uh, thing that we are. We do seem to be uh, doing that, but it seems to be that we're being forced into that to a certain extent
3: because there's we can't create anything through the middle. Yeah, I think you're probably right and. It's quite a sort of sad state of affairs and it harkens back to that pining of for a Santi Cazorla or, you know, Jack Wilshire or anybody with some sort of dynamism and creativity in their soul in the, the heart of midfield. Um, but it's not there. So I guess it, maybe it's a sort of scientific approach that uh, it feels like there's that's using better um you know, the equipment that Arsenal have better. But it's obviously not working out that well because they need to get Giroud back for that, let's be honest. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, he scored more goals in a week than we have since the start of the season, as far as I can tell. Um, uh, I mean, Michael, you're, uh, you've written a piece about uh, XG, the expected goals, which I'm I'm sort of beginning to understand uh, the whole concept as uh, after about two years of trying to work it out. Um, well, explain what the piece is about, first of all.
2: Well, basically, it's it's looking at every size expected goals after 10 or 11 games played. And I'm sure some will be familiar with expected goals. Some won't be. I mean, to give a very brief explanation, it's kind of a shots figure that accounts for the quality of the shot. So it looks at where the shot was taken from, what body part it was taken from, where the assist was from. And the reason why we look at this is it's basically been... Proven to be a better predictor of future performance than the actual results, so you can compare how teams have, have actually been doing in the table to, you know, the shots they've taken, and perhaps you know if a team is overperforming their xG, it tends to be unsustainable. So Tottenham are about nine goals better off than you would have expected, so their performance might not last too much longer.
0: Well that's a relief isn't it to all all our listeners I think but um and I'm assuming from the data Arsenal are pretty much they they deserve to be where they are
2: pretty much it's not a it's not a massive imbalance I mean I think from the from the shots figures Arsenal are probably two goals less than you would have expected but it's not a I mean some of the sides Sheffield United and Burnley for example have you know, if you believe in the XG, they've been massively unlucky so far. You can't really say that for Arsenal. And I think that just tallies with, you know, anyone who's watched all Arsenal's games this season will tell you what the XG says. But, of course, not everyone can watch every game of every team. So that's why the table overall helps. But, yeah, it won't be news to anyone listening to this podcast that Arsenal's poor results have not been unfortunate. They have been, by and large, pretty much on course with... Uh, how well they've played.
0: I ask this really just as a question about how long Mikel Arteta has got uh, with the results staying the, the way they are. I don't for one
3: second think he should be sacked, but th- it can't go on, can it? Look, I, th- I just think he needs a break somehow. He needs some luck, um, something to go for him and the team um, to change the mood a little bit. i I, absolutely certain that the club are unwavering in their belief in and support of Michel Arteta. I don't for one moment think that they're looking at the table um, and feeling uh, pressure and anxiety in the way that they were looking at the table uh, just over a year ago, where actually the table wasn't so bad, but they could feel that um, bad energy, I think, uh, and sense that maybe something needed to change. Obviously, nobody is uh, impervious to things just going wrong and never going right again. And if that happens for Mikel, then people will have to look at it and think differently within the club. But I can't see a situation where there's any kind of imminent threat or danger to his position uh, at all. I think they absolutely back him. And I think that the, the more interesting element is if they can be persuaded to back him, you know, quite seriously in January, which is needed. I mean, there are players out there. Um, it might m- mean some difficult decisions. As it is, they had to leave two experienced internationals uh, out of the squad in Sokratis and Ozil, um, just to fulfill the obligations of squad restrictions and squad regulations. But maybe they have to do some more. Um, If they can get in some quality players in January and they might have to pay for it, perhaps it's time to go back to the Cronkies and say, listen, this is serious stuff. Um, Thanks for the 15 million, (laughs) the support to get parties uh, uh, clause paid, but we really need some more because we really need uh, an injection of quality. And some of that might be loan players. And again, if if players come in, then players are going to have to go out or be dropped to accommodate them. But um, it does feel like it's not always the answer. I mean, obviously, coaching is the other uh, other solution. Um, but the games are coming very quickly. And as I said, unless there's a, a good break and, and fortunes start to turn a little bit the other way, form comes back, confidence returns. The Arteta's going to need some help. And I, I have a feeling that maybe the club will will back him where ordinarily in a January they wouldn't want to be going around spending money. We shall see. Uh,
0: let's have a song uh from each of you. Amy you just wanted to talk about music for the whole 40 minutes of the podcast. But uh, I know and it and uh, but but cause what happened was this uh, has been rubbish uh, myself let's be and honest. Amy Myself and Amy spoke um, uh, after the uh, after the Tottenham game. I sort of talked her down a little bit, I, I, I think, and we ended up talking about music for a while. Uh, but let's have a music choice uh, to make us feel happier
3: about ourselves. Somebody called uh, at Envisage on Twitter uh, proposed a, a song uh, by somebody I've never heard of who looks like a hipster that plays the banjo called Thomas Benjamin Wilde Esquire. And his song is called, Well, This Is Shit.
0: I'm not looking for solutions just for someone to admit that
2: this is shit, this is shit, this is
3: shit.
2: I'm not sure about musically,
3: but yes, the, you know, there's something it. in the in the uh, thematic qualities there. Ian, you know, we were moaning about all these Sunday games. The Sunday games are just destroying Every everybody. Sunday, Thursdays are great. The weekend. You know, yeah. the Smiths, every day is like Sunday. It really felt like it last Sunday. And I'm really <laughs> excited about next Sunday having another night yeah, game at home to Burnley. Um, uh, and then, but the other, my other sort of obvious song choice, just because I, I feel like my facial expression is probably 95% Larry David at the moment, It's just the Curb Your Enthusiasm music. <laughs>
2: Uh, defensive error (laughs) dear oh dear Um, what about you Michael what have you got well with Dundalk away on Thursday I instinctively went to kind of list of Irish bands the first one was obviously U2 which I realised might be a little bit unpopular but I realised that when ITV had the rights for Premier League match of the day equivalent their theme tune was U2 and Arsenal won the title yeah Arsenal won the title two out of those three seasons so it's up to you you have to put up with U2 but if you do, Arsenal get good again. That's that's the choice you have to make.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm perfectly happy to put up with you two for Arsenal to get good again. I'm, I'm happy to put up with Coldplay at this point. Um, I quite like it. That's
3: like saying I'd settle for Flamini's pointing. (laughs) Um,
0: I'm going to go, because I I have been a bit optimistic um, on this podcast and I'd like to continue that because I do think, by the way, that we do have a very talented squad of young players. You see Hailend FC every Thursday playing beautifully and I'm I'm enjoying it, albeit against substandard opposition. Uh, So I'm having The Only Way Is Up by Yaz. I think
3: you've had that before, Ian. I think you're cheating. (laughs) Possibly. Well, I'm having it again. That's what you think. Tyo is making the musical executive decisions around here. Yeah, he does. (laughs) I know who I'm backing. Hey, well,
0: it depends if you want to make people feel miserable. (laughs) Put on some U2. (laughs) It's a tune. Um, All right, uh, that's it for the Handbrake Off podcast. Thank you to Lee Dixon. Thank you to Teo Papula, our producer. Also, thank you to Amy Lawrence, Michael Cox. Uh, Nice to see you guys. Uh, Hopefully, a, a happier podcast next week. I'm Ian Stone. Thanks for listening.